You do remember what has happened. A man has been healed from being lame. He's over 40 years old. He's never walked a day in his life. And yet, because of God's grace through Peter and John's hands, he is now running and jumping, and I'm sure he is being loud. He is being uh, one who's giving praise to God for what has just happened to him. And the crowd is ecstatic along with him. It's not hard to imagine the scene that is taking place. Every day they have seen this man laying at the temple gate, begging for alms. And now for the first time in his life, he's on his feet, he's walking, he's running, he's leaping. And so there, the people are wanting to know what has just happened. You do know why miracles take place in the Bible, don't you? They were not just to wow the people and bring awe to them. Rather, they were done to validate the person who is doing the miracle, to validate him as a messenger of God, and to validate the message that was being spoken. In the case of Jesus, His miracles were proving that He was the Son of God. Matthew chapter 11. Maybe you remember, John the Baptist was in prison and he is having some doubts about Jesus as to whether He really is the Messiah or not. And so, he sends some of his messengers to Jesus to ask Him. Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus' answer is quite interesting. He says in verse 4 of that chapter, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. In other words, the miracles were giving evidence as to who Jesus was. No ordinary person could do these kinds of works. In John chapter 10, the people said to Jesus, If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. He answered them, verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Verse 38, he said, Though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. You cannot get any more plain than that. The miracles that Jesus did were to verify who He was and to substantiate the message that He was speaking. So my question to you would be, what about the miracles that Peter did? 
and the miracles that John did and, and Paul and Philip. What was the reason for those miracles? Again, it's the same as what we've just looked at. The miracle was to substantiate the message that was being spoken and to prove that the person who was doing the miracles was from God. That He was God's messenger. Look with me again if you have your Bibles. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 6. I'm, I'm substantiating for you the reason for miracles in the Bible. Chapter 8 of Acts, verse 6. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. It makes sense, doesn't it? That, that as Philip is doing the miracles, these mighty works of God, then people were giving attention to him in what he was saying. And the same thing is true here in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John have just performed a mighty miracle. They have raised up a lame man who has not walked in his entire life more than 40 years, and now he's walking and running and leaping, and so the people are gathered together. They are fixed on what Peter and John are about to say. They're wondering, how in the world has this happened? And so let me give to you, in a nutshell, what their message was. First of all, they said this, this miracle has been done not by our power, but by Jesus' power. And to me, that is so refreshing that Peter and John were so quick to point out to the people that this is not of their doing, rather, it is of His doing. You know, they had a chance to bring glory to themselves. They had a chance to be arrogant and build a name for themselves, but they resisted that temptation. It was not about them. It was about Jesus. Verse 12, Peter said, Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety that, that we have made Him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. Over in chapter 4 of Acts, Peter continues with this same tune. Verses 9 and 10, he says to the, the, the Jewish elders, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. You know, Peter wanted the, the people to have no doubt about where this power came from and who the glory was due to. I see the same mindset throughout the book of Acts. Chapter 10 of Acts, Peter entered into the house of Cornelius and it says that Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Verse 26 says, But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, for I too am just a man. 
In other words, he's saying to Cornelius, hey, don't worship me. I put my pants on the same way that you put your pants on. Acts chapter 14, Paul healed another lame man who had never walked. This man, too, leaped up and began to walk, the Scripture says. And again, the crowd was ecstatic. Verse 11 of that chapter says, When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have, come, have become like men, and they have come down to us. They even went so far as to want to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And verse 14 and 15 says, But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see, they too were so quick to point the glory to God and His Son Jesus. It was not about them. It was about Him. Now let me show you a verse, a passage of Scripture, where someone didn't give the glory to God. Look at Acts chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. Acts chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. You. <laughs> you know what I learned from that? If you don't give God the glory, you're going to get eaten by worms. <laughs> I'm teasing about that somewhat, but not completely. I mean, God wants us to give Him the glory. And we should be ready to do that. He is the one who deserves the glory. Not us. He is God. We are not. He is the Lord. We are not. He is the all-powerful one. And we are simply His servants. It's by His grace that we can do anything that is right. I want to encourage you, when you have been used by God to do something good in make sure that you are giving him the glory for that make sure that that it's all about him that it's not about you if you are one who is who's able to do a good work and and help a person out Give Him the glory. He is the one who deserves the glory. If you have been one who has been able to give a gift financially, maybe to help somebody who is poor, make sure that He is the one who gets the glory for that, not you. It's all about Him. And Peter's message that day was simply this. 
what you have seen done here today was by His power, not our power. And there was more to Peter's message. He said this to the people there, the Jewish people. He said, you killed the Son of God. Peter did not beat around the bush at all. He was straight up with these people. And keep in mind, he was being led by the Holy Spirit. This was not Peter off on his own being brash. This was Peter filled up with the Spirit of God. And this is what he says to them. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, Pilate wanted to release him, but you instead asked, for a murderer to be granted to you. Speaking of Barabbas. I mean, Peter did not water down the message. He told them the truth. Could I remind you that it is the truth that sets people free. And the truth may at times be like a sword that penetrates people's hearts. And sometimes it may hurt. Sometimes the prophet said, the word can be like a hammer. But it's what people need to hear. God's word will not return void, Jeremiah said. If we speak his word truthfully, then God can use that word to touch people's hearts. But on the other hand, if we water the truth down, or if we hold the truth to ourselves and we don't share it, then the truth is not going to be able to do its intended work. We had a pretty good discussion in our small group last Sunday night about this very thing. One of our group members asked this question. I want you to think about this question. How you might answer it. What your thoughts are on it. The question was this. Where is the fine line of telling people the truth of what they need to hear versus being so blunt with them that we run them off in the other direction. Think about that. Where is that fine line of telling people the truth of what they need to hear versus being so blunt with them that we run them off in the other direction? And we, we discussed this around the group that evening. And this is the answer that we came to settle on. Actually, a three-part answer. One, we said, we must follow the Spirit's lead because if we will do that, He will not lead us astray. Secondly, we said, we need to love those people. Not just hammer them with the truth, but we need to love them we need to be gentle with them. We need to be respectful towards them. But make sure that we speak the truth to them because it is the truth that sets people free. If you withhold the truth, then the folks are going to they're going to be shortchanged. And there was a third answer to to this question that we came up with, and that is simply this. We must show Jesus to them. If they see Jesus in us, then maybe they will realize that they need what we have. They need Jesus too. 
Now back to Peter here in Acts chapter 3, it's very obvious that Peter was confrontational when he spoke to these people. In other words, he did not mince words. He did not sugarcoat the message. He didn't water it down. He simply was straightforward with them. And a number of you here today, you you may be thinking, that's not me. I, I can't do that i cannot be confrontational with people i'm uncomfortable with that and i i probably should emphasize to you that this is not the mold that everybody has to fit into this was peter's evangelism style and god used it And over the years, there have been several times that I have emphasized the fact that there are multiple evangelism styles. And and it's been a while since I emphasized that to you. So this morning, I simply want to emphasize this again. There are different styles of evangelism, and we need to discover what our style is. And And one style... and. One is not any more important or any more effective than the other, but one style is the confrontational style. And this is Peter, who speaks straightforwardly the truth. And this person who has this style needs to speak the truth in love, with gentleness, with respect, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit leads, this person who relies on the truth of God will find that actually the truth of God will not return void. We need people in the church who have this style of evangelism, who are confrontational, who will speak the truth, who will not be ashamed, who will be bold. There is another style of evangelism. I have the whole list right there. Uh, Relational style is the next style of evangelism. This is the person who builds a friendship with a lost person. And, And maybe you connect with that person through sports. Maybe you connect with that person through your kids' activities. Maybe it's a neighbor and you actually do neighbor with that person. Maybe you both like to hunt or you both like to fish. Maybe you both like to do crafts. Maybe you both are, are fans of the Jayhawks. Maybe you both are fans of the, of the Kansas City Royals. Whatever it is that connects you together you become friends with that person. You like that person. And that person likes you. And over time, as you grow in that relationship with each other, you can share from your heart about those things that are important to you. You share with that person about Jesus. You share with that person about your faith in Him who is most important to you and they are able to see your faith in action they are able to hear what you have to say they are able to see in your life what's important and over time they may feel comfortable in asking you questions they may feel comfortable in even expressing their doubts to you and you can respond you can converse with that person you can help them because 
You have a relationship with them. And you can even disagree with that person because you have a relationship with them. And it's all in a non-threatening way. We need this kind of style of evangelism taking place all across the community. This is where so many of you will be effective and used by God. You build relationships with people over time and you're actually intentional about that. You have friendships and you understand the importance of of speaking to that person about Jesus, influencing them with the light of Jesus that is in your life. And so as you have this relationship with them, You're looking for opportunities to speak to them. And when those opportunities come up, you take advantage of those opportunities. You share with them about your faith. This is the relational style of evangelism. As we go through these five styles of evangelism, I want you to pinpoint which style best fits you? There is a third style. It's the testimonial style of evangelism. And it's easy for these styles of evangelism to dovetail in with one another. As you build a relationship with someone, there comes a point in time where you can share with them from your heart a testimony of what Jesus means to you and what He has done for you. And for each of us, it's a different story, isn't it? I mean, hey, Jesus Jesus has helped me in raising my kids. And and it wasn't always a, a rose garden. It wasn't always an easy road for us. But Jesus was there with us. And there were times, there were times when my son, his health was so bad and we didn't know if we were even going to get through that, if he was going to survive. And and God was with us all through that journey. He never left us. He never let us down. And God was with me as as my dad passed away and He helped me through that crisis in my life. And, And God was with me when... And you fill in the blank. What is it that He's done for you? You share your testimony with those whom you have built relationships with. And you know what? People will listen to your testimony. Because it's your story. And oftentimes they'll be going through the same circumstances and the same trials that you have gone through. And when they hear about how God has been with you and God has strengthened you and God has comforted you, that's going to be meaningful to them. And they're going to hang on to that truth. Share your testimony, my brother and sister. It will be meaningful to people. It will be effective to people who are out there in the world. We just need to be having a boldness to speak our testimony. So many of you, last week, you you wrote down your testimony. And we have taken those testimonies and we have put them all around the building. And what a wonderful testimony.
testimonies. So many people have written. I want to encourage you over the weeks to come to take the time to stop in the hallway and read those testimonies because they will encourage you. And there are people out there in the world who need to to hear that testimony from you. You say, I don't know what my testimony would be. Well, there's an assignment for you. Take some time this week. Begin to write down what your testimony might be. How is it that God has touched you? Has He saved you? Has He helped you? Has He been there with you in a crisis? Write down your testimony and learn and be ready to share that testimony when the opportunity arises. The world needs to hear our story and you remember the glory goes to Him. You know, it's not about us. It's not just my story. It's what He has done for me. It's all about Him. And so these two points dovetail together quite well. It's not about me. It's about Him. And and I need to be ready to share about Him to other people. And be straightforward with them. Then there is the intellectual style of evangelism. This is the person who has done their homework in the Word of God. They know their stuff and they are able to reason with people and they are able to answer questions and, and, and answer doubts. They are able to help people with their doubts. And this person, hear me say this, this person is not argumentative. They're not a debater in this instance. They are gentle. They are respectful. But they are a person of the truth. They stand on the truth. They're able to share the truth in a persuasive way. Let me give to you an example in Acts of someone who had this intellectual style of evangelism. Chapter 18 of Acts, verses 24 through 26 it says now a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth an eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and been fervent in spirit he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that wonderful? You you know Priscilla and Aquila, they took Apollos aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Accurately, this is this the style of evangelism, this intellectual style of evangelism. In this case, they're explaining to Apollos the way of baptism more accurately, according to Scripture. They're not arguing with him or debating him. They're not trying to speak louder than what he speaks. They simply 
pull him aside, they put an arm around him, and they say, hey, let, 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 us, let us teach you something that the Lord has taught us about baptism. And their spirit was such that Apollos gave his ear to them. Now, Apollos was a person who was strong in Scripture, and that tells me that Apollos had to be one who, who was willing to humble himself. He didn't buck up and fight. He listened. He considered what was said. And the Holy Spirit, I think, was a part of that conversation. And he's convinced through Priscilla and Aquila about baptism. This is what this intellectual style of, of evangelism is all about. It's, it's, it's being able to answer people's questions and answer people's doubts. It may be explaining to someone about creation and defending creation versus evolution. It may be defending the resurrection of Jesus to someone. It may be sitting down with someone and defending the inerrancy of Scripture to them. It may be sitting down with someone and in a, in a gentle way, just simply saying, this is what the Bible has to say about the subject of homosexuality. It's not an argument. It's not who can be louder than another. But it's being a person who is grounded in the truth of God's Word and you're able to share that with others in a gentle, persuasive manner. And we need more people who will study to show themselves approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the Word of truth. And then the fifth style of evangelism is invitational style this is this is probably the easiest one and actually the one that all of us need to be growing in it's simply inviting people to church and we need to be doing that all of us need to be looking for opportunities that come our way that we can give an invitation to someone to come to our church this is far more effective than the church buying an ad in the local paper or paying for radio time on the local station. Your personal invitation is going to go so much further than those other ways of advertisement. And your invitation to a person may be their first step towards the Savior. If they come here and they experience the love of Jesus and they get a good taste of the worship and they hear the Word of God preached, it can do something inside of them. I can't tell you the number of times just recently where I have been in the home of, of a new person who's coming to our church and they have said to me something of this nature. When I walked through the doors of your church, I felt something. Huh. What are they feeling? They're feeling love. They're feeling a welcomeness. An openness. They're feeling the Holy Spirit in this place. 
We need, we need that to be happening. And you and I can help that to happen simply by welcoming people. We need to be a welcoming person. You can help our church be a welcoming church by being a welcoming person yourself. That, that you wear a smile and you're ready to shake a hand and, and you are a warm person. Look for people who may be new to the church because when they come through those doors, they may need Jesus in their life and are, they're going to have a first impression when they come here. And the first impression may happen long before I get up here to preach. It may happen out there in the parking lot. You say, how's that? Well, have they been greeted warmly in the parking lot? Are, are, are you, you know, ready to wave at somebody? Are you ready to smile at someone? Are you ready to shake a hand even out there in the parking lot? It may make a difference for a new person. Their first impression may happen as they walk through the doors. Right right through the door. And the, the first person or two that they meet may make a difference in whether they come back or not. And so, all of us, whether we're standing at the door or not, we need to have a warmth about us. We need to welcome people with the love of Jesus. And then they come in here. May they feel the love of Jesus. You know, I, I would encourage you, if you see somebody sitting by themselves, and you come in, sit down by them. And if you don't know them, get to know them. Share the love of Jesus with people who are in this room. And then they have the opportunity to be a part of a worship service like what we've just had. And they get the opportunity to hear the Word of God preached, which can be like a sword, which can be like a hammer. It can encourage. It can uplift. It can rebuke. It can correct. It can teach. The Word of God can do all of those things for a person. I just want to encourage you to be one who invites. When, let me ask you, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? You know, I'm not looking for a verbal answer from you. I'm just asking you, when is the last time you personally invited somebody to church? Do that. Look for the opportunity. Let me read to you from this little book. I, I wonder... I hope you've bought this book and been reading it. It is, a, it is a good, good, good book. And this is what he has to say. No believer or church member will feel compelled to share his or her faith if they don't really believe others need the Gospel. Let me offer an extreme but hopefully clarifying illustration. Suppose you see someone walking on a dry lake bed. There was once water there, but it's just dry, hard, dusty now. Uh, would you try to save them from drowning by dry, dry, diving into the dirt? Of course not. You know that they are not drowning, so they don't need saving. We need to settle this issue first and foremost. Do you really believe that those who are not Christians need saving? 
Do you really believe that those without Christ are lost? That is why Luke 19.10 makes it abundantly clear, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I fear that some of our church members only give lip service to the doctrine of lostness and to the belief that Christ is the only way of salvation. If we have have no deep down belief in those truths, we will have no urgency to go. Remember, Jesus Himself left no doubt about this issue. Jesus was speaking to His disciples in John 14.6, actually John 14.1-6, about eternal life, when He said, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to Myself, that where I am there you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Not Thomas, though. He had his doubts. He had uncertainties about this way. And he does not hesitate to say so. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Then it comes. Those words from Jesus that leave no doubt. Those words from Jesus that are pointed and powerful. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There you have it. The words are straight from Jesus Himself. The words are the Gospel, the good news. There is a way, but it is the only way. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Christ is the only way of salvation? Do your actions reflect your beliefs? Are you constantly and urgently going and sharing your faith and words and deeds? What He's basically saying is, before we go and share the gospel, before we go and share our testimony and share Jesus with people, we have to know and believe in our heart that those people are lost. And if we don't think they're lost, no reason for us to go. Can you guess what style of evangelism Tom Rayner has? (laughs) Confrontational. I mean, he's straightforward. If you've read the book, you know that. He's, he's a straight shooter. He doesn't beat around the bush. Uh, what I want to encourage you to do today is simply this. Discover your style of evangelism and grow in it. And know that really so many of us can cross over the lines you know, I, I have, one of my styles, is you, you, this comes as no surprise to you, is confrontational style of evangelism. But I need to be able to cross over into the relational style. I need to cross over into the testimonial style. And same with you. Wherever you're at, whatever your style is, cross over the lines and and develop two or three or four or five of these these styles. And wouldn't it be good with whatever person we're dealing with that we can adapt to that person? Will you? Will you be a witness for Jesus Christ? 
Next week, we're going to get back here into Acts chapter 3 because we've, we've not finished at looking at what Peter had to say to this crowd. He, to this point, he said, the glory goes to God. This power for this miracle is His. It's not ours. And then he says to them, you killed the Son of God. He confronts them about their sin. Next week, we're going to look at the remainder part of this sermon, chapter 3 into chapter 4, because Peter has a lot more to say. He needs to bring them to the Savior. Let's pray together. God, help us. Help us to be your voices, your witnesses, your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.